I just can't figure out if it's because you're advanced or because I'm stunted. You take the red pill. You stay in wonder. I am McLovin. You do not talk about Fight Club. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Glacé Film Club podcast. Here we are once again to dive into another film and special occasion here. We've got a first time special guest. You know, we like to bring all new attendees into the Glacé Film Club. We're an open community here and we want to chat about film with passionate people who love film. We've got a big passionate film lover, goer, attendee, conversationalist here. It's my good friend Doug who's going to dive into today's review with me. Doug, how are you doing? Are you excited for your first visit to the Glacé Film Club podcast? I'm very excited, Marcus. Thank you very much for having me. Big intro as well, pumping me up ready for a, a good film analysis here. So I'm very excited to get stuck in. Well, I want everyone to know what to expect and to feel their energy and passion as I know that you have for film. As we have discussed over the years, this is a actual recording on a microphone, but we've had plenty of good film chats over many years, and many over pints. many venues, over many pints as well. And and it's always a great great place to discuss film. It gets the, the film nostalgia and ideas going. And this is uh, now the formalisation of this. So I'm very excited for you to join me here to discuss a big film. And we do have a big film ahead. It was a big release this year. I'm just going to tease it for now. We'll get onto that in a minute as we dive into a, a little overview of it. But how are you? You know, we, we don't want to go into a, a hard start. Here. Everyone likes to know where everyone's been up to in life. But in, give a little intro, Doug. That, people are here. They want to know who the guests, the community are. Tell them a little bit about Yeah, a bit about yourself. <laughs> what have you been up to recently as well? T- tell the fans. Feels like one of those horrible intros, you know, at work when you meet for the first time. You have to exactly. <laughs> say who you are let's, and what your role is. Let's break the ice between you and the listeners. <laughs> what can I tell people about myself that they care about? Well, uh, I took my first golf lesson today, Marcus. That's been a, that's been the biggest news of the week so far. And my reasoning is not the usual reasoning for why people take up golf, i.e. they're old and retired and they need something to fill the time. Mine is very tactically about avoiding baby duties. So I have um, uh, extended family. When I go with my partner's family, we go away. Um, we go to the Caribbean, we went to uh, cruising on Euro- around Europe recently. And what I've noticed is to, um, two of the older lads, the Michaels as I call them, both get away three days at least without having to do any looking after babies. They don't have to spend any time with the group at all on excursions around places we don't want to be. They go off, they play golf, they have some lovely views, they have a great lunch, they have a few drinks and they get to play a sport at the same time. So I was thinking they're getting away with murder here and I need to I need to cash <laughs> in on this quick. So yeah, yeah I'm taking up taking up what is it? I've learned a very expensive sport as well. <laughs> This week, what what was your first lesson today? What what were you? Oh, it was embarrassing. It was like it was it was like what I what I imagine they do with like two year olds when they first pick up like a literature club and just swinging it back and forth, and him telling me I'm swinging too hard or I'm just like absolutely pying it along the ground, um, and then clapping me if I get one in the air. So it was like yeah, it was very juvenile, but um, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it, and I think if I can get to that standard where I can just get myself round. I'll be very happy with that. 
Well, well, thank you for sharing. And the exciting thing is you've joined us here after your first lesson and then the start of your journey. And we can track your <laughs> progress as we go over, through, the, over the weeks and months of your appearance over on the Glass A Film Club podcast. Yeah, if we don't so talk, I'm you're sure. boring you about uh, film, we'll bore you about golf. <laughs> exactly. So I'm sure the, the listeners will be very intrigued to chart your progress. And maybe, hey, in a, in a month or so time, we can share some videos out of your swing and get some <laughs> swing analysis from some of the Glass A Film Club regulars. So, this is if they ever want me back as well, though. That's the thing. Like, this, might be, yeah. this might be a one. The crowd done. will talk. <laughs> yeah. The crowd will talk. So we'll, we'll see what goes on goes. in the likes and comments afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> well, best of luck, Doug. I hope you manage to get some nice form, and you can on the next holiday attend the the golfing outing. Thank you but very much. before then, we've got a film to review. We we've got a big film to review. This is a relatively recent one. It was part of the Oscar run and did win an Oscar best lead actor but that's as much as i'm gonna say i'm gonna throw it over to you doug if you'd be so kind to give us a little overview of the film tell us what the film is and just, and just give us a little insight before we dive in and, and share our thoughts so over to you thank you marcus so yeah the film today uh we're going to be analyzing is the whale so it's based on a stage play by samuel d hunter um, and as Marcus has alluded to there, starring Brendan Fraser, who best known for his roles in uh, films such as The Mummy and George the Jungle, an absolute classic. Um, but The Whale is very different to his usual films. They're quite lighthearted, quite kind of comical. The Whale is about um, a reclusive, morbidly obese English teacher called Charlie. And um, it's a pretty heavy film, Marcus, like, if you'll pardon the pun there. Um, <laughs> Charlie's basically slowly eating himself to death after the suicide of his partner, Alan, um, simultaneously trying to reconnect with his estranged daughter, Ellie. Um, and it's, it mainly takes place in one place, which you'd expect from a film based on a play. Um, it's rather dark and dingy kind of front room, Charlie's front room, basically. And the cast of characters kind of come and go in and out of the film throughout. So you've got his formerly mentioned and kind of rather re- rebellious daughter, Ellie. She's played by Sadie Sink, who was best known for her portrayal of Max in Stranger Things. Um, we have his longtime and seemingly only friend, Liz. She's played by Hong Cho, um, who's both a nurse to Charlie, but also his kind of main enabler with his eating habits as well. So that's quite an interesting one we'll probably get into at some point. Uh, she's also the sister of Alan, his partner who committed suicide. And then you've got a church missionary called Thomas who kind of pops up here and there. And he's played by Ty Simkin- Simkins. Um We've got an occasional appearance from Mary, who's Charlie's ex-wife and mother of Ellie. She's played by Samantha Morton. And then, of course, there's the takeaway delivery man who pops up quite regularly throughout (laughs) the film with some big, big orders. Um, What else can I tell you about the film before we kick it, kick on? Um, Film received a standing ovation, an eight-minute standing ovation, uh, when it debuted at the Venice Film Festival. Brendan Fraser, as Mark said, was nominated for Best, um, Best Actor, and he won the Oscar for Best Actor. And again, huge standing ovation. Um, there's a kind of a very kind of tear-filled Brendan Fraser standing and, and taking the applause as well. And I think he's kind of had a revival of a career from this film, really. Like, he's not seen for a long time, so that's something else we can discuss a little bit later on as well. Um, it's also not without its critics. Some people saying it's kind of shallow attempt at fat-shaming, uncomfortable, even disgusting um, as a watch. Um, so again, lots to unpick and analyse there, Marcus, and I hope I've done a good enough job of summarising that for you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much for for that lovely overview. It's given us a nice insight into the film. Straight away, I'll give my initial reaction to it, and a film like this does always appeal to me because 
I love a one-location film, and I've said this a lot on this podcast, that there's something appealing to me about a one-location film. And the reason why is because you can't overcomplicate a one-location film through plots. Everything that happens has to run through the dialogue and the storytelling. So there has to be unbelievable writing for it to work. So whenever I see a film that is one-location, I instantly think it is going to be good because... It has to be, you know, because you can't just set it in one location and have no plot writing any kind of depth to it because it wouldn't get past any kind of production. Like, that's what's going to happen. So often when you see something like that, I think the hallmark that I always go back to is Breakfast Club of the kind of yes. the ultimate one location where you've got richly written characters there and you've got a lot of story kind of woven into it, but while wow, they just sat having a chat. And this is... um very much what The Whale is. As you say, because it's adapted from a play, that's kind of why you get that element. And and you feel that it is firmly in one location. It is in his apartment, pretty much in the living room. You get the odd cut to the outside of the apartment, the odd cut to his uh, the bedrooms in his apartment and, and his bathroom. But pretty much 90% of the film is in his living room slash kitchen. So straight away, that kind of element is appealing. And I would say that it does deliver on that deep character development and the strong dialogue element of it, because it it is very literary. The fact that it opens up right at the beginning with, um, you don't realize at the time, but it's an essay that his daughter has written about Moby Dick. And this is a, an illusion all the way through the film and then becomes kind of like a bit of a rounding off piece at the end. in that almost biblical moment as he, as he rises to, heaven or whatever it is you want to interpret that quite oh, was like mythical or oh, striking moment at the end um but i like that and i think it works well i think his character the lead character has a lot of depth it goes he goes through a lot of um journeys within it and you slowly peel back the layers of the onion of his character and it starts off you just kind of you have this kind of grotesque, shocking image. That's what it's meant to be done. Like you say, there's criticism of like easy fat shaming. I can see where that comes from, but I feel that it's not necessarily done as a a piece to be like, oh, wow, look at this. It's meant to be done cleverly within it. And I think it just about gets around that with using the kind of grotesque as like an image within him as the outsider. But we'll get onto that. But I do think this whole literary element comes through and you can absolutely tell that it is um, adapted from a play because it's got that. And I do think you get development of the other characters as well and their relationships developing, especially him and his daughter, which kind of bounces back and forth throughout it. I'd say my my critique of, of that element is that it just maybe feel a little bit contrived, this kind of the ending of that it's building towards of he's like sacrificed his himself, his health, also his financial earnings, which he then like pledges to his daughter. I think what's he earned like two hundred thousand dollars was it? One hundred twenty thousand yeah. Okay, hundred and twenty thousand dollars. Um and he Not a fact check you there, Marcus, but <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> Call me out there. Um <laughs> Uh, you know, give or take eighty thousand dollars. You know, the money we make on this podcast. You know, give or take, isn't it? Just want to say um, that I've done my research for this one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but as much as I like how it, I think it's very well written that these different elements and offshoots of the characters. 
do develop. As I said, you peel back the layers of the characters to get more from them. It's emotional. I felt very emotional at the end. But there is that element where you just think, it's slightly contrived to get to this end point of a father's self-sacrifice for his daughter, which I think is the main point of it, through these, you know, quite forced literary illusions and things like that. So I like that element of it. But at the same time, you come out thinking, was it being arty for arty's sake? And I don't know at what tipping point that goes over the edge, but it made me emotional. I bought into the characters, and I think that's enough for it to come through as a a good plot and a, a good story. So that was my initial thinking was like, yeah, solid. And I like it was a one location film done well. What about you? What what were your first kind of instincts coming from it? So first, the first thought for me was that I really wanted a, a bargain bucket from KFC. <laughs> well, it had the opposite effect of what it intended there because I was just yeah immensely hungry after watching him chow down on a. There's a lot of food chicken. consumed within it. Yeah, there? there's a lot of that, and I'd be interested to know like how much weight Brendan Fraser just put on just from like doing take after take, <laughs> like. Did he actually eat it? Or was he just spitting like, after each one? Because he's getting um, stuck into it. Like, he was going for it. Stuck into yeah, he was it. really going for it. Like, he ate like someone who does eat that amount of food. So, uh, yeah, impressive on that front. He's done his method acting in terms of that. You can see uh, why yeah. he, he got the Oscar for that. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think uh, you've, you've you touched upon it already, but like really strong performances, right? As as is evidenced by, by his standing ovation, by the Oscar. Um, and I think Brendan Fraser in particular... Um, is why this film is like has been a kind of acclaimed as it has been, and it's got the kind of hype it's got. I think he's a massive part of that, um, and the performances of kind of his um, supporting actors and actresses as well. Uh, but I, I have to say, I think the overwhelming feeling for me was just I was underwhelmed. Like I think there was so much kind of talk and hype about the film before I watched it. Um, I was a bit late to the party when I watched it, and by that point, kind of the. It, We'd had all the thing of Brendan Fraser. We'd been on the chat shows and things, and like, what came out of that was everyone loves Brendan Fraser. But actually, I think the film wasn't that good of a film. I think it was, I was, I think it was a poorly written film that was saved by good performances. I would okay. say it would be my summary. Um, I can hopefully back that up with some with some evidence, like as we go through it. Um, but that yeah, that was my main takeaway, Marcus. Yeah, no, I get that. I get that. And like I said, there was a lot of, of hype around it due to that kind of individual performance and a lot of it. As I say, because it is in one location and it's very specifically based on him, he is there throughout the whole film. Mm-hmm. Um, that performance was always going to grab some attention. But just in terms of wider themes of it, and of course, with it being adapted from a play, it's not simply just going to be a linear plot with no other kind of wider illusions. And my, the biggest kind of, area i felt that it was going in was this idea of him being the outsider or the other so obviously the the obvious element is him being you know massively obese and (laughs) this turns into the the element of him not wanting to be on the webcam when he's lecturing to his remote university class his daughter being disgusted mm-hmm. by him. And there's also the element of the outsider is that it transpires without the film throughout the film that he left his daughter and um and wife to start a relationship with a guy. So one of his students is gay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So then there's this element of the outsider of him being gay and and then that element kind of thrown into the mix of then he becomes an outsider. 
after for another reason because after his partner dies he then kind of he comfort eats and then becomes obese so that's all part of that so he's firmly put there as an outsider Mm -hmm. and then his narrative arc is and i think there is an absolute biblical religious element to this and it is rounded off at the end as i said with that scene of him rising to the heavens of he self-sacrifices for his redemption so he earns all this money teaching his class he has sacrificed himself he sacrifices his comfort eating to kind of whether it's him getting over the um guilt of him leaving his family or whether it's the grief of losing his partner but he sacrificed that's his sacrifice of himself doing that but then his eventual sacrifice to his redemption is him giving himself away knowing he's going to die but then also giving his money to his daughter so she can have a better life Mm -hmm. so there's this full kind of narrative art going through it which i got and i think that's where i felt the most emotion through it was because it's powerful and it's backed up by those literary elements Mm -hmm. and this reference to moby dick throughout is i'm not well up on my moby dick knowledge but i feel there was the crossover there of the kind of outsider and obviously the way your element was obvious but like mm-hmm. that those things crossed over so that was there as a representation of it and in the end it was it turned out that's what his daughter had written and that kind of emotion won her over to an extent and that was when the his narrative arc and like quite shakespearean in a way of like mm-hmm. the yeah. tragedy of it, of it all and him sacrificing himself so i got that I appreciated it and it gave me the emotion and I, I felt it. And I did feel emotion at the end of the film. Like I think it built it well, but it all just comes down to, again, like was it being overly literary and, and mm-hmm. too clever for itself? I, I think, think it was to an extent because even though I felt that emotion, I don't necessarily fully felt the character was unbelievably believable. Yes. And was what was the wider point? I don't know whether there was. It I don't just think felt there is of, one. That's the, yeah. I it, think no. It just felt like this very specific character doing this very specific thing, and I mm-hmm. followed that emotion. But beyond that, I don't think it gave me much more impact. And I think going back to because you mentioned like the religious aspect and like that kind of comparison to like like self sacrifice in terms of like, like the Jesus kind of comparison, and obviously the ending is kind of very much of that, isn't it? Where he's kind of floating yeah. up in the light. But my problem with that is a lot of what he's kind of done he's done to himself like a lot of is self-inflicted so Mm -hmm. like obviously you know people he's lost a partner and he's devastated and he's grieving and people do you know crazy things when they're grieving but how many people lose people close to them he doesn't have to then you know go into kind of this world of self-wallowing and self-isolation and what actually he's doing there is pulling in all these people like Mm -hmm. liz Mm -hmm. who's just lost a brother who then has to suffer again because she's losing then her uh, the one and only best friend she's still got and she's doing everything she can to try and save him. Um, so, And then he's got a daughter who he's kind of trying to get back in touch with, but at the same time, he's slowly killing himself. So is that really selfless just to give her money at the end? Or is he actually being very selfish in leaving her for the second time in in, in that run? And the same with the, with the, his wife and um, and his, his ex-partner as well. So it's it was difficult to really feel that sympathy that I think the film wanted you to feel for him. And maybe that's what they were going for as well in terms of like he's not just a sympathetic character. There's there's complexities to this. Yeah, and the he's same flawed. thing. Yeah, the same thing with with the daughter Ellie. I think again was is a really good performance. Um, but what you get from her is 
this kind of this rebellious teenager. She's been in trouble. She's been bullying people at school. The mum's not happy with her. She kind of she's very abusive of her father. As kind of the anger comes from obviously him leaving her from childhood, but there's something else there as well. There's an edge to her, like a darkness to her, and you see that with her interactions with Thomas, where he's knowing she's that he's got a drug problem, coaxing him into that. And then filming this confession from him where he says he's run away from the church. He's stolen money from them. And then she usually actually takes that video and sends that to them. And um, Charlie's argument, her father's argument from that is that she knew that he'd be welcomed back with open arms to the to the church. And that's what happens to Thomas. But actually, for me, that's the bit that jarred most in the film. Was I was like, I don't get that at all. I think she's just been a bit of a dick, man. <laughs> like, yeah. Just yeah. try to mess this guy up. And it's not, it's kind of backfired and he's kind of been welcomed back but that's maybe showing the forgiveness of of other people rather than her being some kind of you know great person and the the kind of he constantly goes back to the the um essay that she wrote like in eighth grade and say that that proves that she's a wonderful person as well and he swaps the essay doesn't he when she submits it Mm -hmm. and that's how Mm -hmm. we eventually discover oh it's this thing that he's been repeating constantly is the essay that she wrote and you know to a certain extent it's like I've I've just had a baby daughter, so I can get the kind of like that pride that he feels and that love for her, and it's like it could be anything that they've written, and you and you'd love it. But that's kind of the feeling I got. It's like this essay wasn't anything mind blowing. It wasn't some great like really in depth kind of reflection on Moby Dick. That like I think what they were trying to get at in writing that was that you know children can see things that other people can't see, and sometimes they okay. come out with these yeah. kind of amazing smart insights that we all think but we just can't put into words but i just don't think that happened i just felt like it was a pretty basic like and to repeat it so many times through the film and not have that be stand out that has to be brilliant to do that and i just mm-hmm. think that effect didn't work that well so there's these little bits in the film that like almost it tries to do something it doesn't quite get there with it and i think that just that was just jarring every now and again it was just jarring for me as i was watching it yeah i get that and in terms of the characters, but I think that maybe the suggestion there is that, and it is trying to push that element of, okay, these are all flawed characters, but in some way, even if they intend it or not, they're trying to be closer to some people. But the only one who kind of gives um, without expectation is, is Liz. Mm-hmm. Like, And look at where it so, gets her as well. Like, <laughs> Well, yeah, so she's gets so annoyed with him over and over again, but yet she gives, she gives and her whole heart is in it. Mm-hmm. And she tries to protect him from her, his family. And, and then, yeah. as you say, is like the kind of church induction as well. Whereas all the other characters that appear in it, they're all flawed in ways, even though there's, they're given some kind of redemption. Mm-hmm. They are flawed. So I suppose in, in one way, that's a kind of, that's a message from the film, that's an exploration of the characters. And, and I, I quite like that in that extent. I think the judgment is, how do you read the film? Is is the filmmaker trying to say, these flawed characters go through a full arc and find their own redemption through different ways? Or is the filmmaker saying, look, we're all flawed, but there is, whether we like it or not, some kind of optimism and longing for connection in our hearts and we will in some stage find a way to redeem ourselves or others without realizing it but mm-hmm. yet it's a murky world where we'll all hurt each other but then we'll fix each other at the same time like 
my in I lean towards the latter slightly, but at the same time, I think because I think the earlier reading is a bit too much, too too religious. Like because that religious element is quite heavy in it, and I feel that if they were saying the very much the redemption element, it, it, it turns it into quite a religious play in a way because mm-hmm. it's like it's almost like a retelling of like a Bible story. I don't know whether it is that. I don't know if it's just using that to facilitate, but I think there's, they both kind of get to the same point in the end. Um, so, and that's the credit I will give them is that the, the characters are flawed. And as you say, you don't necessarily believe in what they're doing, but there's this kind of moral murkiness to yeah, it. That, there's depth that gets to them there. as well. And I think, and I like that. Yeah. I, I think... do like that. For me, because you talk about like the most emotional moments as well, like obviously like that that ending, but like the the bit that really got me was the struggle that Liz had with mm-hmm. whether you know she's seen her friend dying and she's you know she gets so mad when she finds out he's got this hundred twenty thousand pounds yeah. to give to his daughter rather than help his own health, and that bit where she sat with him on the couch and then you see the chicken on the counter and he just turns to her and goes, "Liz, please." And you just mm-hmm. see that conflict mm-hmm. in yes. her. Like, yeah. Do I give him the chicken? That's powerful. Do I not That's give him the powerful. chicken? And yeah, that bit for me was like, yeah, that was that was huge. Um, and I think very believable as well. And she was like, like particularly believable character, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And a really good performance. So I think there were saving graces like to it. Don't get me wrong. I think some of the performances, it's worth seeing the film for that. Um, and there's some real moments that I think say a lot about society as well so the bits in particular i thought the bits where he's teaching were, mm-hmm. were amazing like that first the first scene where you can't see him blacked out um and you hear he's kind of he's got such a kind of soporific voice in this film brendan fraser mm-hmm. like it's really like like just kind of draws you in like soft voice you can feel like his love of english and his passion he's got very sweet nature that kind of constant need to apologize like he's a believable person like i've seen mm-hmm. people like that um and so that that really resonated as well and the bit obviously the bit at the end where he reveals himself to them and kind of the, the horrified face and they immediately go for the phones to film and you yeah think that to me was like very realistic and very powerful of like what is wrong with society nowadays <laughs> like yeah. and how we judge each other um so that you know that that for me as a theme was brilliant like how we treat the outsider and almost, I think, even now, hearing kind of what I've said already about the reflection, am I being too harsh on this person? Because you see someone who's got themselves in that state and automatically, because it's kind of, it's just, it's eating, you think, mm-hmm. you judge, you think, oh, they've got themselves in that, like, that's on them. Yeah. You don't really know the full backstory ever yeah. of that situation and that scenario. So is that saying something about us watching the film as well? Are we quite quick to judge and is yeah, that the point? Because it's the an addiction, isn't it? There's, there's an addiction and like something that we, you know, it is on a level with like alcohol. Yeah, addiction and would you judge a drug addict like drug the same addiction. way, like or an, or an alcoholic, because they yeah. perhaps, you know, they're going to look different in that respect, like, and so maybe it doesn't kind of, it's not as off-putting or disgusting for us to see, and maybe because mm-hmm. we're more used to it. But it's the same yeah. thing, but isn't it? It's is still another way of trying to cover pain or or react to something like that. And this is what's come to mind in terms of when we were trying to think of where where's the wider message of this. And I was thinking, well, maybe this is an extreme version of looking at how do people who have taken steps in their lives that they either regret or life has taken them in a direction that's... Um, of suffering and pain how do you then move on from there to either 
build bridges again or to find yourself again and obviously that is so many people's lives and that's uh, hey the vast majority of us will have moments in our lives to some extent where we find ourselves looking back with either regret or with frustration or horror whatever has happened in life and obviously this is a very extreme version but is this looking at someone who has basically in some ways wronged his family but also has been been wronged by other people uh, and has wronged himself and trying to find a way to do it and in a hollywood beautiful sense is there's a very clean cut where somebody picks themselves up you know the american drag yourself up by your bootstraps sort yourself out mm-hmm. that's the hollywood version but in reality that's not how life goes and people's lives are messy but there are points when people hit and go, I want to try and build bridges again in my life. And it's messy and it's murky. And this is an example of that because relationships are tainted and um, individual circumstances are that. And I feel the emotion you get from it and the bits we said they're most emotional mm-hmm. are the pain that different people in his life feel. Like you say, and that cutting moment you say with Liz, with the chicken and they know it's killing him. Like that is horrifying because it's she wants to satisfy him because she loves him and feels that historic emotion Mm -hmm. but yet she knows it's the wrong thing but they're in that scenario how hard it is to build something like that and in the end obviously he kind of gives himself away but i think that's that's a wider element i think Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah i agree and i think um i think you could just look at it as a reflection upon like how things can snowball as well from like one event so from his partner from alan committing suicide to yeah. then you know that is never an act that's just a, like just affects that one individual mm-hmm. it's you know it's it, that's suddenly liz's world's changed like charlie's world's completely changed he goes into a downward spiral liz is then having to look after him what's going to happen to her when charlie dies you know her one and only friend mm-hmm. now she's lost you know, her brother she's lost the, her best friend is she going to follow the same pattern again? And is it just going to keep going? The same with his daughter. She's now not got that father that she sort of reconnected with, but then he's suddenly gone out of her life again. So it's just, yeah, it's for me, it was like, that was a very telling thing. It's just like, how can one one bad event spiral for other people and affect other people? Um, it's quite, so it's quite, it is quite heavy. Like, it's quite a yeah. heavy film. And you but come again, away from it and be the, like, That's like, the beauty of the play style of it with it being in that well, location the, the, it's a microcosm of something yeah bigger. and the room they did it so well in terms of the set because it was yeah. it felt like you've you've said murky a few times now it felt like dark and dingy and oppressive like really oppressive mm-hmm. and it was like it's almost like it was yeah it felt cringy in there like and that added to the kind of the setting of him being, you know, extremely kind of cringy. Like you almost just yeah. wanted to like shy away from it. Like, and you felt, you felt that pressure in that. In and, that it, and the aspect ratio it was in as well, the fact that they had it in four, three. So like mm-hmm. you felt more boxed in. And the, the shots, there was two, there was one shot where they were seeing him kind of from below. And obviously that was kind of to extenuate like the fat yeah. spilling yeah. out. And obviously they did a great job on the, like amazing fat suit, right? Really good. Like, yes. Compare yeah, that yeah. back in the day to like Little Britain. <laughs> you see those ones. Like, <laughs> yeah. No comparison. Um, but there was a shot where he did on the webcam as well where it's like he's showing it with just his face. And again, mm-hmm. adding to that kind of like that close up, like that that mm-hmm. feeling of just like compressed um, pressure. So um, 
yeah, yeah. Yeah. In terms of like the kind of the production value and the shots, like there was some, there was some great stuff in there, that really, really good. Um, and you can you can see how that would work in in a play setting as well, like on stage. Yes. With I'd be intrigued to watch it on stage. I really yeah, would. Me too. I really would. But I think it translated really well, and the product, as you say, the production design was fantastic. Okay, let's wrap this up because I think we've had a really good chat there and and dived into all sorts of areas. And uh, again, as always, once you get into Absolutely the chat, flown. things start coming. Yeah. Things start coming into your mind that you wouldn't necessarily have thought of beforehand. So this was a great one to get into, but. Before we uh, say goodbye to listeners, let's give our final closing thoughts on it and uh, mark out a 10. I'll kick us off and say that, as I said at the beginning, I love a one-location film and often indicates there's going to be some good, intense, heavy dialogue in there. And this absolutely delivered on that front. And as I said, that it was kind of on a knife edge whether I thought it was overly done in the sense of being arty for arty's sake or whether it did give a clear message and it was worthwhile at the end. I think I, I edged towards the latter, even though I do think it was a little bit excessive at points and too stagey and not necessarily believable in bits in the sense that, yes, you connect with the character, you feel the emotion and I develop with them throughout, but the whole kind of curve at the end and the, like, the full religious element, it was emotional, but almost overwhelmingly so to a unrealistic extent at some point. But what I think absolutely gives this some extra credit for me, the film, is what we talked about just then is that the production of it, I think it was fantastically done for a one-location film, they use a lot of angles really well. You feel absorbing it. And the fact that when I was in the cinema, I felt emotional watching it. And as I say over and over again, my two rules of a good film are, do you feel um, captivated and are you enjoying watching it? And secondly, does it give you something to think about afterwards? And this really captivated me watching it and has given us a lot to chat out about afterwards. I do like the literary elements of it, even though I do think it went a bit too far and for the sake of it adding it in sometimes so that's where it marks down but i'm giving it an eight out of ten i think it was a good film i can absolutely see where the oscar was won for best actor but i think that eight out of ten marks it nicely as a good film doug what about you i love that you go into let's let's get some closing remarks done then and then go into an absolute monologue <laughs> <laughs> yeah you gotta make sure everything's covered haven't you <laughs> just rattling off every single thing we discussed on it brilliant um, I fully accept this might be my one and only appearance here. I hope it's not because I've really enjoyed it and it's gone extremely fast. But obviously, I want to make my mark, so I want to establish a rule now for the for this review that, and it's one that Marcus and I have done um, in a book club that we're part of with a few of our friends, uh, where number seven, seven out of ten, does not exist. Like you cannot give. I, feel, I don't know if Cal's been giving sevens a lot. Like It feels like Cal might be the kind of guy who gives a seven. You have to take but, that up with him. <laughs> yeah. But a seven is a nothing. Like that's so, They're so easy to give. It's just a bang average like score. You're not saying one way or the other. It's a sit on the fence kind of answer. So yeah, I'm definitely not going to give it a seven. I, um, I'd stick with what I said at the start. It's been a really good chat. And as we reflect, often we say to each other, you and I, Marcus, once you've reflected and you've chatted about something, often it goes up in your mind because you actually start mm-hmm. pulling threads and themes together. Um, it's, that's been no different with this one. Um, I just I think it was an underwhelming film, saved to a degree by good performances, but not enough to give it that eight marks. I'm going to settle for a six out of ten. 
Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Doug. And thank you for sharing that rule with the listeners as well. I'm sure that we can prod We're Callum watching you, Callum. Sure We're there's watching no, you. No, Evans. There's a new kid and... in town now, Callum. <laughs> I'm also sure that it won't be your last appearance. But hey, we'll hear, we'll hear what the listeners say. Let us know what you thought of this uh, chit-chat and whether Doug's voice can sit in your ears be on kind, further occasions. Be kind. Remember the whale. Remember what happened to him when he got abused. <laughs> There we go. What a way to end it. Well, there we have it. There was a, another review. We dived into a big film, one of the biggest films of the last year. Like we say, we don't shy away from those big Oscar-winning films, and this is no other. And there's some huge films coming out over this summer, which, of course, we'll be covering on the Glacé Film Club podcast. Doug, thank you very much for joining for your first one on here. As I said, I'm sure it won't be the last. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And we, we did, we dug into it. We got to some good places there. It was a, a very good review. We did. Thank you Listeners, very much, mate. No problem. No problem. But have you been listening? Thank you very much. Let us know what you think. As always, we're on Instagram at the Glacé Film Club. Apple Podcast, Spotify. As I notice now, Spotify, you can give reviews on Spotify. This is a new feature they've got on there. So we've been keeping our five-star review rating on Apple Podcasts. We want to get our five-star one on Spotify. So we'd be very grateful if those reviews and five stars keep coming in on those platforms and subscriptions. Thank you very much. Some great episodes coming in this summer season. Very excited for what we're going to be releasing. Like I said, some big films this summer tingling for that and a lot of good conversation episodes we've had some great ones in the past but some big guests coming up over later episodes but that was that thank you for listening and until next time that was the glass a film club podcast we'll see you all later bye bye